We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high-performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the Coachable Podcast. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, and I am so excited to connect with you guys in a new episode with my guest, James Silvis in the house. Super honored to have you here, my friend. You have touched me in such a short time of getting to know you, but being in and around your presence, it's always deeply felt. And so I know that this conversation is going to be so serving for the people that listen and that allow themselves to also connect to the words and the presence that's already here. Um, Just to give people a little bit of an idea of who you are, I'm going to let you speak for yourself, but you are an international mindset specialist and peak performance coach who teaches athletes, leaders, and high-performing teams how to clear their minds, break through fear, optimize their performance, and enhance the quality of their personal and professional lives. You have grown up here. You went to UNLV, got a bachelor's um, degree from there. And that's where I know a lot of your inspiration for this work that you do in terms of peak performance and mindset started for you based on one of the mentors that you met there. Before we get into the other work that you do, I know you just recently spoke at Nike. You have a background here in Vegas and your come up story is one of my favorites in terms of like actually how you started to practice the work practice sharing your story, talking to people. And I want you to, to like tell that here, but really you're also known for this idea of being that 1%. You have a podcast, it's a movement, it's a brand that really inspires people to live their best lives personally and professionally and do what 99% of people aren't willing to do. I'd love for you to just start with like that concept alone. How did that come to be? Where did you get that idea? And how does that intertwine into some of your your background and your story? My story, as as Tori mentioned, starts in Vegas. I grew up here and I was pursuing physical therapy because it was the closest thing to sports. I got an opportunity to play football at some universities, but decided I'm not going to give it my all. So why even do that? So I decided to stay home, and I wanted to be close to sports, so physical therapy made the most sense. And then as I was working in the physical therapy space, I was like, I can't do this. I need something more dynamic. I need to do more for others than, than just be a nine-to-five. And so in order to an attempt to break away from that, I got into the Las Vegas scene. That's where I started working at the clubs. Shout out to all the nightlife in Vegas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got a job at Marquee Day Club for one year and then Wet Republic for two years. And I was a buster there. But while there, I got an employee of the week, one week. And part of that process is to take home a box that was like a shoe box, basically, and put something in it that represents you. So I go home. I'm like wondering what to put in this thing. I finally find some Tony Robbins CDs and I put them in there. I go back the next day and I thank everyone for voting for me. and 
I said, I put these CDs in here because one day I want to be able to travel the world and speak to leaders everywhere and, and help them be better versions of themselves, whatever that means. And so we went back to our areas and the GM came up to me and he said, hey, are you serious about this? And I said, yeah, I've been thinking about it and my skill set, my passion, I want to help people. It just makes sense. And so he said, okay, well, in an attempt to help you with that, why don't you speak motivationally to the staff here? And I was like, what do you mean? Like motivate them to sell more alcohol? And he's like, no, I mean, you want to practice your thing. I want to give you an opportunity. So I said, yes. I spent the whole next week planning a five minute speech. I showed up, I gave that speech, someone recorded it and put it on YouTube. It went viral within the MGM properties and I became known as the jelly bean guy. And from there, I spoke every Friday for the rest of that season, an eight-month time period. I came back the next year, and I did the same thing. So it was a total of 50 speeches. And at the end of that second season, I asked myself, if I'm not going to leap now, when? You know. So I, I ended that, and I went door knocking for six months. Or maybe even more than that. But six months for sure, going business to business, pitching myself at 24 years old. No idea what I was doing. No model. Just observing and, and going off of that. And so it was in that six-month span of time where I started to question myself. I got cops called on me. I got people told me I was never going to be anything. I got, you're too young. What can you teach me? You're the age of my son. You know, any, I've heard it all, you know, and it began to weigh on me. And one day, I was on Instagram of all places, and that's where this idea of being a statistic came to my mind. And in my head, I did not want to be someone who said they were going to do something and then didn't do it. And most people say, I, I have a goal. I want to lose weight. I want to start a business. I want to hit this goal or get that goal. And, and then it gets hard and they hit a challenge and they come up with a story as to why they can't do it. Mm. I didn't want to do that. And so that's where do what 99% of the people won't do and be that 1% came to mind. And that just became my philosophy, my mantra, the thing that I was circulating my mind time and time again. And shortly after that, I met someone who brought me in for an interview, a second interview, a third interview to an international timeshare company. I pitched a 30-day program. I said, if you don't see any growth in 30 days, we go our separate ways. But if you do, we sign a year contract. I grew their business by 20%. They signed the year. That ended up being four years. And that was the beginning of my career. I love that story so much because, first of all, you sitting here with me today and looking back on the 24-year-old that you were. Yeah. You know, busting tables, filling up ice buckets, putting in the hours here in the Vegas scene, making your way in the world and trying to figure out your life path and where, wh who am I meant to be? Who am I? What do I want to do with my life? I can only imagine that it's cool looking back and seeing how all of the dots have connected for you but even just hearing your story about be the one percent and knowing your heart knowing the mission that you're on and the ways in which you empower people and equip people and educate people to really tap into that not just on a mental level but emotional level on a soul level mm -hmm. I really feel like you and I are in this conversation in this studio in the wind, Las Vegas, yes. doing what a very small percentage of people are doing, especially in this town, right? Because right? when you come think about Vegas, you think about one thing. You think about partying, you think about gambling, you think about having the time of your life and forgetting. Maybe a lot of people come here to forget yeah. life or to like get away and to escape. Mm -hmm. and there is that for people, but there's also other things. There's, there's people like you and I that are really committed to, to doing this work and to show people that there's another way if they want to, to live it and pursue it. And that's what you did and started by first starting with saying, hey, I'm willing to admit this is something I'm into, first of all, in an environment, in an industry where you're like, I could be totally reprimanded and criticized and laughed at and all of the things. So take us back to that moment when you put the Tony Robbins tapes in there did you even question and think, what are people going to think about me? Did, was oh, that a thought that went through your Yeah. Head? It was like, how one, the GM is asking me if I want to speak. Yeah. And he's only asking me because I had the courage to say that this was a dream of mine. Right. Right. And so I was like, what did I say and why did I do that? <laughs> so there was like, there was anxiousness. There was like fear of what if I show them and, and then they, they like expect that. 
then now I'm going to have to do it. Uh, Be that person. Right. Or if I even put this whole speech together and it's not good and they're just like, cool. Then I have the whole summer that I have to be with these people. So like it was risky. Mm -hmm. And at 23, at that time I was 23, like, you know, I was doing personal work, but fear was very much active Mm -hmm. and controlling a lot of my decisions at that time. And so I had to combat that. Every day of that week leading up to that first speech, I was in my bathroom looking at myself in the mirror and being like, are you ready for this? Like you said it, so now you got to do it. And I had whiteboards, I had journals. My girlfriend, who was now my wife at the time, was like uh, helping me craft this five-minute thing. You, you would think that I was getting paid $100,000 to give this speech. Mm-hmm. But no, this was just a dream. This was just a passion. And so with that, anytime you have a passion for something or you think of something that hasn't been done before, there's always going to be that level of anxiousness or that fear. And if leveraged correctly, you funnel that into you doing the work, mm-hmm. right? And so that helped me focus on not and not anything else except for what questions do I want to ask? How do I want them to feel? What visuals am I going to use? And because of that, 13 people came up to me after that five-minute talk and said, you need to do this for a living. I didn't know these people prior to this year. This is the f- like I'm weeks into the, this season. And they, they come up to me and say, you got a gift. Yeah. And so I could have not listened to that. But I also said, if 13 people said that in an industry where this has never been done before, where else can you do it? Mm-hmm. And that little like opening was like, I have to go see. Mm-hmm. I have to be curious enough to go see. And with that comes courage. And yeah, a lot of failure. I wasn't thinking through all of that at the time, but I just knew I got to take the next step. And the next step right now is to speak again. Yeah, I think sometimes we get so caught up in trying to get to this end destination and we expect to know all the steps mm-hmm. to get to here today and having this conversation and be, being invited to go speak at Nike and working for some of these massive companies that you've worked with and, and having a huge po- 1% podcast in the world globally and speaking to thousands and thousands of people. It's like, how am I going to get there? And that's, I think, the question that so many of us ask when we have an idea or we have a dream or where we have the guts to say the thing that we want mm-hmm. and we have the guts to say it out loud because when you say it out loud, it becomes that much more real, right? Even if that means just being honest about, hey, I'm not happy where I am. If I speak it out loud, that means now someone else knows and yeah. now I'm accountable for that, <laughs> right? right? And then I think the need to know all the answers sometimes gets in our way of just taking the next right step. But it's like, as you take the step, the next one appears, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it's like, that's what you're responsible for in the moment is just saying yes to the next right thing, which was just speak again. Yeah. Just like again. If, if you know all the right steps, you've missed the opportunity. Mm-hmm. There's never going to be a time where there's something that you want that you've never done before and you're going to know every single, single thing about it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist. So... By nature, if you're going to lead your life, you need to be okay with uncertainty. You need to be able to surrender to not knowing and then cultivating an inner resourcefulness or an inner trust that somehow you'll figure out a way to get the next step. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's like a willingness that you have to have to do that. And that that is courage. And if you don't have the courage to do that, then you're going to live in the predictable, safe comfort zone that most people live in. And I'm not here to judge that. I lived there in moments. But the way I want my life to be, how I design my life, is very intentional. I love being challenged because it exposes parts of me that I didn't even know were there. Mm -hmm. And the more I grow, the more value I give. The more value I give, the more I can impact. The more impact I have, the more it fulfills me to know that I'm making a difference both in my life and in someone else's even if that's just a conversation or telling a story or asking a question. Right. You're saying like, I want to find out what I'm actually capable of. And how am I ever going to know unless I try? Right. And so can I give myself the permission to, to try and see what happens and learn from it? And so, yes, that takes courage and it takes willingness to fail and willingness to be seen, willingness mm-hmm. to be judged, being willing to lice your comfort zone or a potential future that you haven't lived in yet. Yes. 
as a and sacrifice the familiar present for more for greater and i think there's so many people that listen to shows like this shows like yours they hear you know maybe they follow you online and they're like yes i i'd love to do what you're doing or i have this dream for this business or i'd love to get investors for this thing I'd, i want to create a real estate portfolio whatever they want to do and they don't know how so that it stops them right or they have all this fear about the uncertainty of letting go yeah. of how things are because a lot of times things are good yeah you know not sometimes we have to hit that rock bottom and everything you know we're at this like rock bottom place where we have to build back better and restart over but sometimes our biggest enemy is that comfort zone of like, things are easy, actually. Right. I could keep doing this. Yeah. And, and fear more so than not having a strategy is the, is the culprit. That's, that's the center. And in my experience, having worked with so many different individuals and across many different industries, I found like four fears to be the main buckets that people fall in. First and most prevalent is the fear of rejection. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I so feel, real. I feel I have, to, I have to be a certain way or do something in a, in a specific way to receive love, respect, or validation. So I may do something out of character so that I am viewed a specific way. Other, also known as FOPO, fear of other people's opinions. You know, Then you have fear of success. Fear of success is you fear the pressure or your ability to handle the change if you were to actually succeed in the goal. Well, you were even just saying this. What's going to happen if it goes well and now they expect me yeah, to be this person? Yeah, I'm in the spotlight. People are going to look to me for answers. And did I get lucky? Or, or now is, is my time with my family going to be disrupted? Or am I going to even have time for myself now? Or, you know, and the laundry list of things goes on. And so we can stall on opportunities. We can make goals that don't challenge us to say we're making progress. But meanwhile, we know we have much more in the tank, you know. Then there's the fear of failure, which really comes down to the fear of letting other people's down mm-hmm. opinions of my, myself or you or anyone else. And then being an imposter. Yeah. That somehow someone's going to be like, ha, fraud. Yep. You got Do lucky. It. You don't belong here. There's someone else that's way more qualified. And all those stories that we keep active through the selecting of those thoughts time and time again, moment after moment, create this biochemistry inside of our bodies that create an emotional home. Mm-hmm. And if we do something out of that narrative... We're not home anymore. So we then sabotage to feel normal. But normal is just a fear-based approach to living. Mm -hmm. So we have to override that. Like we're not designed for greatness. We're designed for survival. Yeah. So we need to get out of survival and into a different frame of mind so that we can attract the greatness that we're wanting and sustain it. Yeah. Well, I use this this whole show. This is about the game of life and how to play right. it, you guys. So what you're describing is what most of us all do by default. Mm-hmm. We play one position on the field, and that is defense. It's survival. Yeah. It's how long can you live? Can you procreate? Can you stay? You know what I mean? Like it is evolutionary. It is built into our DNA. 
stay alive. Your brain is wired mm-hmm. to keep you alive, even if it's hurting you, even if it's painful, even if, it, you know, at least it's familiar and it can predict the threats that are around you. And it knows that even if you're in a shitty relationship or a job that's sucking all of your creativity, whatever it is, it's like, at least we know what to expect here. Mm-hmm. And you're alive. And that's what I'm here to do is keep you alive. Right. But what you're saying, and I would even go as far as to say is what the 1% is doing. They've learned how to play a different position on the field, Mm -hmm. which is offense. Mm -hmm. Because defense just protects you. Mm -hmm. They're not moving towards the goals. It's just keeping the bad things out. Right. So when you think about it from that perspective, one, Let's have a little bit of compassion and love for ourselves because no one ever taught us this. Right. Right. No one ever taught you how to play. It's, it, it's a skill. It's, a, it's something you have to practice. And what we've gotten good at is what we've practiced yes. doing. Yes. And so I think it's very normal to feel the fear, mm-hmm. very normal to feel the anxiety because what you're walking into is complete unknown mm-hmm. that you don't have reference point for. And your brain is thinking about that as threat. Yes. Right? Yes. So what does playing offense and being the 1% and doing what most people are unwilling to do? One, what does that look like yeah. like practically in your life? Yeah. And how did you start to learn, like when you were first learning the skill, like mm-hmm. to start to put yourself in these positions, fumbling through that process, like what, what's that like? Yeah, I think the first step is choice and responsibility, ownership, that I'm showing up to a space of my choosing how I choose. That one, to what we were talking about earlier last week, is like sovereignty, right? Like owning your power, choice, responsibility. Um, And with that, like here's an image that has helped me kind of really understand this. There's a doctor by the name of Lisa Barrett Feldman, and her book is all about, I think it's called How Emotions Are Built. And the imagery that she shares in that book is, is incredible, but she, she asks the reader to think about the brain as sitting in a, in a big black box called your skull. It has no reference aside from the senses that send information in and out of the brain, right? Light and the way it bounces off objects creates images. Uh, pressure and going in through your ear is what creates your hearing. Vibration. Yes. Uh, pressure on your skin, you know, causes you to sense certain things. And based on that data, which we'll just call, you know, sensory information, and your natural brain's ability to want to predict what's going to happen next based off what has already happened, and the context around you, all those three things come into the mind and in within a fraction of a second, a story is created about what is happening. When you look at how you choose to be or what you choose to think or what you choose to feel from that perspective, then what, becomes, what became clear to me is I get to choose what story comes from the feelings that I have. The feeling that I have butterflies could mean that I'm afraid and I won't be able to do it, or it could mean that this is really exciting and this is something that I've always wanted. Depending on which narrative I have there, I'm going to take a totally different set of actions, right? And so I think anyone listening, think about it from that perspective. Just because you have an increase in heart rate, just because your armpits are sweaty, just because, you know, you've referenced one failure in your past doesn't mean that that failure needs to come back and represent itself again. So choose who you want to be, what you want to think, and what actions you want to take. From there, an intentional life can start to be created, and then that creates momentum. And then you start teaching yourself that you're the selector of your thoughts and of your experience, so that no matter what happens to you, you control how you show up. That's what leaders do. Leaders don't accept what's given to them. They don't operate from fear and say, oh, just because everyone else sees it like this, I should too. They generate their own thought process. And they say, this is what I see, which is different than what most people see because most people don't know this type of stuff and they just continue to do what they've always done and they wonder why things don't change. Mm -hmm. But we're creatures of habit Mm -hmm. until we break the habit. So we need to break that pattern by, one, taking ownership and realizing that we are choosing 
what we think, what we feel, and what we do. From there, then we can get goals. We can have emotional regulation. We can uh, have a team. Like there's other components that come into the mix, but that's fundamental. Yeah. It's that awareness that I get to decide. I get to choose because what you you were just saying, it's a habit. We have a learned habit of thinking and interpreting our emotions, our thoughts a certain way, the stories that we tell. So if you think about it in terms of just sports as an analogy, you're a football player. I was an athlete all growing up myself. When you start to practice, Mm -hmm. they say you you play like you practice, right? But if you practice certain fundamentals in a way that is with with poor form, you're going to get in the habit of of doing it incorrectly. And so your your results are going to show mm-hmm. <laughs> in your statistics, in your stats, in the way that you're, you know, if you're batting average or whatever the sport you're playing, right? So it's like we've got to correct the muscle memory that yeah. our brain has and how it interprets information and what story it generates when it when you get in certain environments. When I walk into a studio and I'm feeling, yeah, I'm sweating and I'm excited and I'm but I'm, my heart's racing. An old habit of mine would be, oh God, I'm out of my league. Yeah, I'm in the wrong place. I'm not. I, right. can, I can't do this. Imposter. What am I doing? Totally. Yes. But I have retrained my brain. Yes. But that takes time. It takes consistent practice and repetition, right. and it takes time. Yeah, I think a lot of us expect. Oh, well, I'm going to tell a new story, and I'm going to start to work on the my muscle of self-belief and self-confidence and I'm going to start to talk you were saying like when I was you're preparing for that five-minute conversation you're like I'm in the mirror like talking to myself yeah because it's it's like you've driven down this path a million times in your mind and when you veer off and try to take a new road to a new destination it's like it's going to take some effort yeah it's bumpy it's totally not paved no there's bushes yeah. and animals and things that you're going to encounter that you never have before. And that is what life is about. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a documentary, I think we talked about this last time, Stutz, called Stutz on Netflix. And one of the three things that this psychiatrist talked about is that life brings us three truths, pain, uncertainty, and work. Uncertainty is embedded into life. And so the more comfortable you can get with that understanding, then you... <laughs> You stop wasting energy on things that you can't control, which is anything outside of this moment. And so if I just reallocate the energy that I'm using to think about thousands of possibilities, all of which will probably won't happen, and instead be what I choose to be right now in this moment, that right there, what I co-create in this moment will then lead to another moment, that next moment, then the next moment, then the next moment. And those are small wins that over the course of a week, of a month, a year, develop a mindset, a lifestyle where you don't have to think about it anymore. It's just embedded into you. So we have to be able to like, you know, to use a sports analogy, you have offense and defense and maybe in football you have special teams. Everyone wants to score a touchdown, but three points is still three points. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to kick a field goal. Yep. And field goals win Super Bowls. They sure do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so in the repetition, in the practice, and I always say champions, they do the basics better. Yes. It's not like you get out of the 1% do the basics better. It's almost boring. They don't graduate from the basics. It's like you're still doing the fundamentals. You're still putting in the time of self-awareness, of self-reflection, of maybe, I don't know, what what are the fundamentals for you? I would love to know. That I practice? Yeah. To... uh, to continue to do the work that I do? Yeah. I think fundamental to me is a form of, of writing. I think writing does a lot for me. It, one, allows me to vent. Two, it allows me to see how my ideas intertwine with other ideas. It, um, it's a form of release. Mm-hmm. It, it also makes it real. You know, we have 60,000 thoughts a day on average, 95% of which are the same as yesterday. So if, if we're not aware of what we're thinking in a visual format, like you can understand that conceptually, but if you start writing down how you feel and what's going on, on a, in a journal or on a piece of paper, that hits different. From there, it's tangible. You could do something with it. And so writing has become a fundamental. It's part of me writing a book, but like writing in general. Then fitness, 
if I don't have, if my body doesn't feel good, I don't feel good. My mind doesn't work well. The blood's not flowing right. My oxygen, it's not oxygenated. I don't feel strong and firm, sturdy. I can't feel grounded. So that's a fundamental. Sleep, mm-hmm. basic, boring, but I need it. Right. Right. Uh, hydration in the West, we're very over-caffeinated and drink heavily in alcohol. So being mindful of how you're replenishing your body. Um, and then goal setting tied to delayed gratification. Like what, what is your process and your style and how can you fall in love with the emerging of emergence of that? Not playing, keeping up with the Joneses, not because Sally did it. I want to do it or everyone has a podcast. or I want a podcast. What, what do you like? What's your game? Yeah. Like you talk about like, right? What's your game. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I love this because you just hit on a lot of similar fundamentals for me um, in terms of writing and sleep and nutrition and and fitness, all of those things. And I've added those, you know, over the years, you know, little by little. Like fitness was a thing when I was growing up because it was a natural part of my lifestyle and sports. And then I got into college and it wasn't. And I've had to learn how to reintegrate these aspects of sleep, especially during school partying phases. It's like, okay, right. actually I can see the importance and the value of this. And mm-hmm. the, the one percenters and the most successful people are getting up in the morning and they're not sleeping till noon. And, you know, right. so I've, I've reintegrated these aspects of myself over the years. It's not like all at once. Um, and they're not flashy. Mm. A lot of this stuff is not flashy. It's just but it's necessary and you feel the effects of it when you don't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you start to create a new baseline for your potential and your off, like what you're the threshold in terms of energy levels and clarity and mental acuity and sharpness that you know that you can operate at. And then when you don't do those fundamentals, you know that you're like, you're not operating at that. Yes. So two things come up for me when you say that one is if I don't, when I feel like I'm getting complacent, like like I'm focused on the fundamentals, but I'm not like diving deeper into the fundamentals. Yeah. I feel like this level of like, uh, you know, then I'll do something drastic. Mm-hmm. Like a couple, one, one time I did, I decided, decided to do three marathons in 24 hours around Las Vegas, like literally around Las Vegas. Because at that time I, I needed to shock my system to say, one, uh, you're too comfortable. And when you have some big challenge that you're training for, you're just a better human being. You drink less, you go to sleep better, you're, you're a better husband, you're a better father. Like you need something stimulating enough to keep you focused. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, I put myself in, into the pain and, and I understand myself at a deeper level. And that revealed so many character traits mm-hmm. in that 27 hours that I did that. From moments of wanting to quit to why am I doing this to memories from my childhood to visions of what I want to do in the future like all of that came through but I needed that you know and I don't I don't think that we challenge ourselves enough or we do enough hard things regularly to keep us fresh yeah everything is easy with tech and we want it quick and we want it to be as least hard as possible yep but there is beauty in hard yeah we run away from the friction Right. Like, how do I get do everything with grace and ease and the least amount of friction possible? And I'm all about creating ease for ourselves. But at the same time, there's so much value. Richness. And richness in that jumping into the deep end. Like, that's the, that's the visualization I got when you're like, I did this crazy thing and ran through marathons in 24 hours or whatever. It's like, most people think you're crazy. Why would you ever do that? And what I hear is I'm going to jump into the deep end because mm-hmm. I've been playing in the shallow end for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to see, like, I'm just going to flail my arms and my legs and see what happens. Right. And I'm actually going to realize, like, I didn't die. <laughs> and you hit a different level of everything. I, I Like, I imagine it's like. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. 
And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This of self-belief of what I'm capable of, of the level of, of um, commitment I have, mm-hmm. uh, the what I'm willing to endure, my yes. endurance, capacity. my capacity expands in those moments so that I can hold more. Yes. I can hold more love. I can hold more presence. I can hold more gratitude. I can hold more abundance. I can, the opportunities that yes. come into my life, I can only imagine just start to grow and expand because you have grown and expanded. That's right. And they're anchor memories. Yeah. Right. So like a simple example, if I go outside and it's cold and my body starts shivering, I go, dude, you've sat in way colder water. Like relax, take mm-hmm. a deep breath. Mm-hmm. And then I take a deep breath and it changes how I feel. Mm-hmm. Or when I'm in a tough conversation and someone asks me something, I'm like, where do I go with this? You've done this, this, and this breathe and just ease into this. You know, and it's like, I'm, it's still tense, but my body's less there's a softening. Yes. That's what I, yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, even as you just said that, I can feel like a release, and a softening into the moment. It's like, like you said, it's like, I've been here before. Yeah. I can, I've been here before and the tension lessens a little bit and then you're able to like, it's like you do in, in, if you've ever done a cold bath, which I know you have, mm-hmm. but if for those listening, like there is a shock factor when you get into an ice bath and your whole nervous system is like panicked. Mm-hmm. And then when you can, you, I remember the first time I ever did one, it was in the middle of winter and it was freaking cold and I, I couldn't catch my breath. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like I'm going to die. And then I am, I breathe through it and I caught my breath and then there was just this release relaxation that comes in and you're like I got this like I'm okay and I think it's the brain the mind that when you go into a hard conversation someone catches you off guard there's something active in you activated an emotion a memory where this feels scary this feels really intense this feels big and you're like the mind says I'm not going to be okay this is going to, this is not going to be okay. But then you remember, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. And if you can just like, even in this moment, like feel into what it would feel like if you believed that you in this moment, wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing is okay. Yes. Can you feel a little bit more like expansive? Like, do you feel a softening? Do you feel a release happening? Because it's in that belief. And that's what, what, you, what just happened is you adopted a new interpretation of those feelings. That's it's right. Like, I'm okay. Instead of I'm not okay. And right. That's a big difference. Going back to the brain and the, the, the box and the choosing, right? The inter- interpretation of all of the data that my body's getting. Exactly. And what that usually is slashing is alert, alert. Danger, danger, <laughs> run away. Right. But you hit on something that I want to go into, which is delayed gratification. Yeah. <laughs> this is huge, especially in Vegas. We all want the immediate oh gosh, v- yes. validation. I want to put $100 down and I want to make it back real mm-hmm. quickly. You know what I mean? We want to hit the jackpot and we want to get that those quick hits of dopamine. One of the things I think that is one of the biggest self-sabotage behaviors that we have and one that I've practiced many, many, many years still still combat um, personally and have to be aware of is sacrificing what I want most for what I want now. And when I sacrifice what I want most for what I want now, I go for the instant gratification mm-hmm. instead of the delayed result, the d- delayed gratification, even though that's what I want most. And that's what we're tempted to do all of the time. How do you, how do you deal with that? What is delayed gratification look like for you? What's the value in it? Yeah. Because we live in a culture where you're just told you can have it now, have it now. I mean, if you study any of the ancient civilizations or any great artist or any 
person that you respect or admire, you're, you're almost never going to find an overnight story because that doesn't exist when someone develops a level of mastery that is inspiring. That is honed over years, if not decades. And so when you want to build something to last, time is not as important of a factor as laying the brick as, as beautifully as you can, you know? And so it's, it's a shift in values. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go faster if I care more about what others think of me than what I do. Most times. That's what I've found. If I go too fast, it's because I'm looking at someone who I think is moving faster or who is more s- successful or who has more than I do and I want to catch up. But every time I do that, I always create way too much stress that doesn't need to be there. And I, and I inevitably make some sort of mistake that causes me to have this internal conflict because I didn't trust what I wanted to do. You sacrifice the quality. Yes. Because it's like, you know, if you've ever seen a developer put up an apartment complex in like a couple months... You know that shit's not oh, quality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like some plumbing issues, paper <laughs> thin walls. <laughs> they cut costs on all the material because they needed to do it fast. And then you walk into a home that's been built with care, love, love, quality materials. The time was put in, the thoughtfulness was put in, and you're like, "This is a home." Yeah, you know what I mean. It just feels different. You know, when you sit with someone who views the world like that, they're not. They're not in a hurry. There's no frantic energy. It's, it's very precise and it's clear. Mm-hmm. And being that I've coached a lot of these types of inv- individuals and a lot of my friends, I'm fortunate to say, are like that, I just have a, a very strong frequency that I hold. And, you know, I'll be the first to say I don't make as much money as maybe some other coaches or that do what I do, but I'm not driven by money. I'm driven by mastery. And so when I'm, when I play that game, then it's how can I get better each day and know that when I put my head on that pillow, I grew as a business owner, I grew as a father, I grew as a husband and I got better. That's the win. Mm -hmm. And if I just stack enough of those days, at some point there's going to be a tipping point and everything is going to be different. And it's not that I'm looking forward to that. I know that it's coming and in in different ways it already has been happening, but I've just loved that philosophy. And so it's, you know, more has been something I've wrestled with a lot. And it's like, you know, more is not always better, you know, just do simple better. Yeah. Cause you're laying the foundation for everything else to be built on top of. And so you were saying, Talking about growth, sometimes growth is happening underneath the surface. It's mm-hmm. the rooting down. And that's the thing I feel from you so strongly when I'm in your presence is the groundedness. And that comes from roots taking form. And that, when you look at a tree, it's like you go to the sequoias and you oh, see man. those, man, the years that those took to root, to build up, you know what I mean? It's like we just, we want to see the, flashy thing that looks good on top but a storm comes through and that shit's knocked over so quick it's like a house of cards right and when you take the time to be intentional and deliberate with your presence with your energy with what you do with how you do it mm-hmm. then when the storm comes which inevitably it will yeah it can withstand right the the elements yeah Well, and two factors to that is like having a strong support system, right? And then um, the other thing, oh man, hold on, it it escaped escaped me. Um, The, I don't know what it was, something about a a tree and the fruit, (laughs) but yeah, you know your roots, you get, you know your fruits. For sure. Something like that. Uh, But yeah, it'll, it'll come to me. I want to talk more about leadership. I know you and I touched this on this when I was on your show recently, and it's something I'm, I'm always fascinated to talk about and learn more about as I'm trying to become a better leader. And I think that starts with myself. How do I lead myself? Mm -hmm. Um, and for a long time, you know, 
I wasn't the best leader of myself. And it's interesting because I came into a lot of quote unquote influence or had an audience um, really, really quickly. And so I watched my, the way in which like I had all these people watching me and I'm like, how am I leading them? Where am I leading them to? And I was like, I, I have to learn how to lead me. Mm-hmm. And because I can't lead people anywhere I haven't been myself. What is your definition definition, or how do you define leadership, what it means to be a good leader, and what are the qualities of a good leader? What makes somebody worth following, in mm-hmm. your opinion? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people online that are quote-unquote experts, that got a big following, that are telling you how to live your life. Like, what are the things you look for that's like, that's quality, and that's somebody yeah. that I want to pay attention to? I love to. that question. Uh, I think the first thing is values. What do they value? And if, if people don't know what their values are, then they get swept up into what other people think they should do, and they don't live their life on their terms. But when, you, when I am around a leader who's rooted in values, the way they speak and what they speak about is very organized, and their words, there's integrity between what they value and what they do. And, and so I'm looking for that. And, and there's, a, there's a feeling that comes with it. There's a conviction in it. And it's not an overpowering one. It's not like if I speak louder or if I use my posture in a different way. It's like it's an energetic thing. And, and I only can say just there's no like, I don't know, scientific formula of what I'm looking for. It's more so a feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's, but, it, but it's centered around values. I think some characteristics are definitely courage, definitely curiosity. Um, compassion, I think, is another big one. Mm-hmm. In our Western culture, capitalistic society, you know, it, it's easy to value things more than people. And when you're talking about leadership, people who follow you are people. They have backstories. They have kids. They have relationships. They have dreams. They have fears. And so I think a good leader understands that they're not just dealing with the sharing of an idea, but they're dealing with the minds and the hearts of the people that they're caring for. And some of the, the greatest leaders to ever live, like a Jesus, a Gandhi, um, um, Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. compassion. Mm-hmm. People go through hard things. And it doesn't mean it's an excuse for them not to, to go f- move forward. But when we take the time to understand who we're communicating with, there's a level of trust and connection that gets built there where communication can now flow more efficiently. Mm-hmm. You receive information that you wouldn't normally receive if you're Uh, viewing someone as just a transactional thing. You have that. I want that. I need to build a connection with you to get that. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, I'm building a connection with you because you're a human being and I actually want to co-create with you. And as a result of that, we're going to create some magic and I might also get an opportunity that is is cool and and that's awesome. But there's a a level of connection first. Um, And so, and then I think the last thing is like Mm co-creating. Like have a team. For the longest time, I was a lone wolf. I got to do it all on my own. And it was, a, it, was a, it was like a manly thing to do. If I had to ask for help and I was considered weak, I didn't want to express any vulnerability. I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to do all that. So let me just do it myself. I trust the quality. I know I can do it. And, and I'll go about it that way. Older I get, the more I realize the power of community. And you know, our mutual friend Brandon talks about the Avengers all the time. You know, It's not like... Iron Man is trying to be Captain America. Captain America is trying to be the Hulk. Now they all have their superpowers and they all come together to fight a bigger purpose. So like leverage each other's strengths. Mm-hmm. You know, I love so. that. I love that so much. And when you were just talking about being the lone wolf, I had someone on, Connor Beaton, once. Uh, he does a lot of men's work. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think men have bought into this idea that masculinity is based on how much hard shit they can endure alone. And I was like, damn, that's really, really powerful because what you're saying is that's actually not the hallmark (laughs) of being a man. It's being willing to say, yo, I'm going to be more of who I am when I allow people to support me. Yes. That takes a lot of courage too. It does. And And that's the flip of a script and a story that we're talking about of like, I used to think, being a leader, being a man, being this meant I had to be this way. And what I'm saying is I'm willing to see this differently mm-hmm. and actually 
rewrite that story and that narrative in my own life? And what does that invite me into doing differently now? Right. Right. Powerful. Yeah. Super powerful. And it wasn't until that that I, that I boosted my emotional intelligence where I was aware of my feelings and can articulate them and not get stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. But to, to have that mind-heart connection and, and make decisions from that place. Yeah. But I couldn't do that if I didn't redefine what a leader was and who I wanted to be. So let me ask you this, because I was having a call with a close friend of mine yesterday. He was like, I want to get your opinion, your advice. He's got a team mm-hmm. and they're, they all play their own roles. And a couple of them are going through some really hard things personally in their lives. It's distracting them. It's taking away a lot of their energy, their focus on these things that they, they're going through. And you're talking about leaders that lead with compassion What's your take on the line between being compassionate and empathetic yeah. and also needing people to deliver on, on their jobs and, and play their roles? Yeah. How can we hold people accountable and yet also hold space? Great. I love it. Uh, so there's some factors there. One is the timeline in which the thing needs to get done that is the responsibility that you would hold someone accountable for. And so... Ideally, you would have regular conversations with this person. So it's not like once a quarter or Mm -hmm. once every six months and you're like catching up on their life and what's going on. So assuming that there's regular meetings, biweekly, ideally, uh, you have a pulse on where that person is. Mm -hmm. And if you're, for me, like what I would do is make sure that in each of those sessions, each of those conversations, you're always going back to what was previously agreed upon. You know, it's like, hey, we, we committed to this because it has this impact on the person that we're serving. And I know that you had something recently happen to you. And so before we even get to that, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How can I support you? Mm-hmm. Start there. They might say, well, you know what? This is a lot. I never ha- it's never happened to me before. We, I'm getting a divorce. I'm, I'm losing my kids. I'm I have cancer. I have, you know, myriad of things. My motivation is like out the window because I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z. Exactly. And so I think there's, there has to be an acknowledgement that where they feel seen, heard, and understood, because until then there's going to be a story that's active in their mind that you're a leader that doesn't care about their well being. Mm -hmm. So, so you have to understand where they're at first. And after you ask, how can I support you? And hopefully they give you something. If you don't, you keep it like, say, hey, if, you, if something comes up, I just know that I'm here. And I know that we had this previously established commitment. And are you still willing to go through with this? Mm-hmm. Despite what you're going through. I like asking questions rather than making assumptions or giving commands because it brings a level of engagement into the conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a dictator leader. I want people to be where they want to be and to choose that. And so I'm going to frame that in a way of like, this is still the commitment. Are you still on board with this? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Then I'm still going to hold you accountable to this. And I'm going to support you with that. Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be, every context is different. Every every person has their own backstory. So that's where the, the leader would hopefully have some document that they go back to to reference who it is that they're talking to, what they've been through, how much they know about them, and that being a breathable document. Right. And leveraging that information in the conversation so that the person feels supported and also called forward mm-hmm. to have a bigger capacity to prove to themselves that they could do something more than what they thought they could. Right. And, and also in stating that you're the type of leader that, that wants to call people forward, and I think that this is a moment where we can find a way to do both. I don't know how we're going to do it, but you have my commitment in that we're going to find the strategy that works best. Mm-hmm. I think if someone hears that, they're going to be open to exploring new ways of getting things done. Mm-hmm. You might even active, activate a new level of resourcefulness that these employees or this person can go and embody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're finding this, uh, in the way that you're describing it, is this balance of the masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, what I mean energetically, like you could look at leadership from a very yeah, like masculine perspective of just like these are the KPIs and these are the results and these are the things you need to deliver on and where are we and let's like, let's look at how we're tracking towards our, our progress and all of that. And then the super, super, super 
feminine side, which is let's talk about our feelings. Let's talk about what's going on in our lives. How's our heart doing? What do we need? How can I be supportive? All of the, those things, which are beautiful, both necessary. Mm-hmm. And you're saying we need both. <laughs> right. Because there has to be a blend of the two where I can create a space where you can feel seen and heard and appreciated and acknowledged. You said the acknowledgement is yes. huge, yes. which I completely agree. We got to talk about the thing. Right. <laughs> and, and we both have to know that that's the, the thing. thing. We got to name yeah. it. We got to call it out. We got to say what it is and not, I think that's one thing people struggle with mm-hmm. because they want to allude to it, but they never want to name it or, or call it what it is, what's going on. Right. Um, and then there's this other side that's like, and I'm going to call you forward yes. to what you've, your commitments and what your, our agreements that we have together. Right. It's, it's a move from but to and. Mm-hmm. I hear you're going through this really hard time, but Ooh. we have something that we still need to do. When you say but, everyone forgets what you said before it, and they only focus on what's after it, right? right? When you say and, you're combining both stories. You're including they, it. They can both coexist. And you, the leader, become the space in which both of those things can coexist. Mm -hmm. This is new level leadership. Mm -hmm. This is creating something out of nothing. This is redefining blockages and seeing them as opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. It takes someone to see it like that, but one has to have a a vastness of skill through the repetition time and time again to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a leader to know how to hold that within themselves, both sides, right? Right. Of... I can feel this way and I can hold myself and it doesn't have to dictate everything I do. Right. Right. And they've experienced that and know what that feels like personally, internally to have a reference point for what their, their people or their teams are going through. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love what you just said. It's not, but it's an and it's how can it, how can it, we include this and integrate this to allow us to continue to move forward. It's like black and white thinking or color. Mm-hmm. This or that or this, that, and, or that, you know? Like, right. it's just, a, a, it's a perspective. Yeah, and I think some leaders, they're afraid on that maybe are leaning more on the, fem, you know, the feminine side. And I, I don't want to, I'm scared to, like, even use that terminology so people don't misunderstand me, but more of, like, I never want to be seen as the asshole. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be seen as the, the dictator as the, right. cause we've gotten maybe really burned from that. And so I want to lean on the other side where now work has become a therapy session. Yes. <laughs> right. And there's, there's, you know, a f- line there too, because now we're not getting, we're not moving forward exactly. and we're just coming together and we're just talking about what's going on and our results are showing there. And so it's like, it's okay. I think what you're saying is it's okay to continue to hold people accountable as we move through uncertainty and as we move through hard things. Right. Because that's the definition of life. You're not going to have just a whole bunch of perfect employees that do everything you say at the time that you say it and everything's flawless. Mm -hmm. No. Leadership is about being in the trenches. It's about being in the unknown and creating known from unknown. The only way you do that is by living so much in the unknown that you know how to build from the unknown Mm -hmm. through presence. Through presence. Talk about presence. What does presence mean to you and what what role does it play Mm -hmm. in business? I know you were just telling me that you went, Nike asked you to come in and and talk about this. That's a big deal. First of all, I know you and I've, I've talked about this, but like the one of the biggest companies there is in sports, athletic apparel. I mean, just do it. We all love it. We own it. You and I are rocking the night. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I mean, they understand on some level the value of presence. What does that mean to you? And yeah. why is it important for us? So I view presence as being one with time. So oftentimes if you ask an athlete, when was your best performance? Tell me about how that felt. They'll usually say something of like, time slowed down. I was able to see things in a different way, which helped me show up in a different way and score the goal or make the shot. But when you're present, it's not that you're slowing down time. It's just that you're on time. Mm. You're not living ahead of time by compounding all the things that you're thinking about that could potentially happen. It's the compounding of all those thoughts that actually speeds up the time. 
which gives the anxiety and the nervousness. But when you're present in the moment without judgment, you're on time, Mm -hmm. flowing with it, you know? And, And so, you know, when you look at someone like Nike and the work that they do within the department that I was speaking to, they're very complex time zones, multiple uh, language barriers. Like it's complex. You can't handle that complexity if you haven't trained your mind and your body to be where your feet are. If you're living in last week because of a mistake you made or you're too far in the future, you're missing what's happening now. And right now is all there is. Tomorrow never comes because when it gets here, it's today. Mm-hmm. Like this is all we have. And so by training your mind to be here through breath, through asking a question through mantras, through eye contact, all these strategies, listening. It helps one be more of who you are to the point where you disappears. When you disappear, your ego disappears. And what, beco- what remains is what's best for this moment. Mm-hmm. And if leaders can be more present, meaning they lose the leader title and become a space where co-creation can happen, then quote unquote leader and rep can now find a new way of doing something or a better way of doing something. But if someone's living in the past or they're too far in the future, they're not in this conversation, they're somewhere else. And that leads to a whole breakdown of communication. And you've missed the creative, the, the, what can be created. The art. Right. You miss, you miss the connection. You miss the moment, you know, because how many of you were talking earlier about these 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 memories that like stand out in your life, whether it's the marathon that you ran or the like these moments in time where you think back on that solidify this connection that you had to life. Yes, and it's like that's what life is happening here. If you're not here, you miss that look in your partner's eye. You look, you miss that laugh of your kid or that joke that they just made. You you miss that opportunity. You miss that phone call that could have led to something because you were busy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on your phone thinking about what happened last night, texting somebody about, you know, what you're going to do this weekend, whatever. Like, you can miss the moment. Yes. And that's the magic. The magic is here. And that's the creative, like, that's the flow. And we were talking about, like, just being, it's a unifier. Presence is a unifier where you get to disappear and we get to coexist together right? and see what comes out of that. Yes. And what does every human want? To be seen, heard, and understood. Mm-hmm. To connect. connect. And that means your presence is one of the greatest, if not the greatest gift that you can give somebody. Totally. And I think that's your presence and your, I think a piece that's almost synonymous with that is your attention. Yes. The gift of your full attention. Right. Like really... That is so valuable, and it's also what everybody and every app and everything <laughs> is vying for is your attention. Right. So it, if you can become a master of where you place your attention, and at any moment you can say, I'm going to put it right here. Yes. That's when you become a master of your life. And a master of your energy. Yeah. Because there's so much I could do right now, but I'm choosing to do this. choice you get to decide mm-hmm. what do you want where do you want to put your attention what do you want to create who do you want to be in this moment that's right so so good man you and i could go on oh, and so on and on hours it least. sucks that we like yeah it's like to have to put time parameters around things like this because there's just so much juice and you could just keep squeezing but that's weird i don't even know what that means <laughs> anyway um I just appreciate you, my friend. I, I appreciate your presence. I know what value and what a gift that is. Thank you for sharing it with me and this audience. And um, this is, I can't wait to see you blow up because like what's going to take, what's already taken root is just going to continue to like grow and the sky is the limit for you, truly. And um, I am just so excited to be part of witnessing that and have you here and so thank you for sharing your your gift with us you're amazing let's do it together hell yeah where can people continue to connect with you find you on social media what you're doing your programs whatever that looks like 
can you share yeah. that with our audience? I think the easiest way is through Instagram and podcast. So uh, Instagram, James underscore Silvas, S-I-L-V-A-S, and podcast is be that one, the number one percent, percent sign um, on Spotify and iTunes. And I think connecting with me there can start a, an amazing relationship. And I create content there that um, helps you live life on your terms and and uh, squeeze as much as you can out of this precious um, sensitive life. Mm-hmm. So thank you for, uh, for having me on. Thank you for listening. Hell yeah. Go connect with James. We'll put all of that in the show notes, make it so easy for you to connect with him and find him on his side of the internet. In the meantime, go share this with a friend, leave us a rating and review on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever you get your content. That is the best way to say thank you. And, um, continue to give back to the show because we really do our best to give you great quality content, really powerful conversations that you can actionably implement into your life so that you can create the change and become the champion of your life, get in the game and create that uncommon success. Thank you for being here. We love you. We'll see you next week on the coachable podcast. Oh yeah. (coughs) Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.